0: Come and listen all you who fear God let him tell you what he has done for me I cried out to him with my mouth his praise was on my tongue If I had cherished sin in my heart the Lord would not have listened But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me Psalm 66 verses 16 to 20 Let's pray Heavenly Father, thank you that we can call on you. That you can be the object of our affection. That you can reach down and to help us throughout all our struggles and the times in life. Thank you that you can share our joys as well as the sorrows. I just pray, Lord, that we put our hope and our trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter six, and we'll look at verses fifty three to sixty nine. John chapter six, fifty three to sixty nine. John six, starting at verse fifty three. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of man ascend to where he was before? The spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them would not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the father has enabled him. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. We're gonna stand and sing a song. It's uh, called, It Only Takes a Spark. This week on Tuesday, Sparks is starting and They're only from kindergarten to grade two, so if you have somebody there, they can come out. Uh, We'll be in the fellowship hall from 6.30 to 8 o'clock. But as I was thinking of a song, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. These little children that are uh, ages five to, to grade two, from kindergarten to grade two, they can bring their whole families to Christ. Because if you can affect their lives, that little spark, can affect a whole generation. Let's stand and sing, it only takes a spark. (music) Heavenly Father, we thank you for your bounty and for the goodness that you've shown to us. We thank you for the creation and I just want to thank you also, Lord, for the good weather that we've had and that the harvest has been able to be coming off the fields a lot more rapidly. I just pray, Lord, that as we give, that we do it with thankful and grateful hearts for all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: For those of you who have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Mark chapter 6. I'm working on something by the way I have a, a, a three bible apps on my phone and and um, there's there's a bible version called u version uh, and apparently if if uh, I haven't figured it out yet but I'm working on it but if you have a smartphone, uh, we should be able to get together and I should be able to to book that in so that that if you get on the wireless here, uh, you should be able to follow right along I should be able to send the Bible text that I'm using to your phone and, and I'm, that's what they tell me anyway, so, but I'm older and I'm going to try and figure that out, but it might take me a while. Mark chapter 6, and a very familiar story, we're going to begin reading there at verse 30 and then um, if you want to, uh, just a little later on we're going to go to John chapter 6, the passage that Ken read for us earlier, but let's start in Mark chapter 6. And verse 30, the Bible says that the, people, the apostles rather gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And we'll get into that in just a minute. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. "'Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages "'and buy themselves something to eat.' "'But he answered, "'You give them something to eat.' "'They said to him, "'That would take eight months of a man's wages. "'Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? "'How many loaves do you have?' he asked. "'Go and see.' "'When they found out, they said, five and two fish.'" Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish, the number of men who had eaten, was five thousand. Let's switch gears a little bit. Let's think a little bit about what you've seen. I know you've seen them. They're disgusting. People who are in love, right? Totally infatuated with each other. People who are freshly in love. They have, they have silly names like Snookumsy and Nosy-Wosy. They hold hands and and they snuggle and they can't leave each other alone and you probably can't stand to be around them, even though you were probably like that at one point in your life, somewhere along the line. But you're not like that now. Not you. No way. You remember the days of the big cars and the bench seats and the two-headed driver? You know, remember those days? You know? Right now, that's where the dog sits, right? So when they come to me to get married, I ask them why they want to get married. And they tell me, well, the other person makes me feel really good. And, and <clears throat> you know, they like being together. They love each other. And when I ask them, what does that mean? Well, I don't know. I just love him or her. Um, they can't stand being apart. And they want to sp- spend the rest of their lives together. Now, if they were teenagers, it would be one thing. But there's older people that act like that, too. And you just like, come on, you know. But... I asked them, you know, so so when they come to me to get married, I I say to them, I I said, what do you think would happen if you ever had a disagreement? What do you think would happen if you had a fight? What do you think would happen if you didn't like each other anymore and and you couldn't stand each other for a while? And well, you know, you get this blank look like, well, that'll never happen to us, you know, like, no way. Uh, Like, you know, they look at me like I come from another planet, like, you know, what are you thinking? So they get married. And at their wedding, they give these speeches about how they each just got the absolute perfect spouse, how it just couldn't be any better. But then this perfect groom keeps dropping his dirty clothes in the corner of the bedroom where he steps out of them. And that perfect, beautiful bride drools in her sleep, has morning breath that would peel paint off a bridge and barks like a hyena. And then you get lousy jobs troublesome children, serious illnesses, and, and a family that won't go away. So what happens to that relationship? Sooner or later, reality sets in. And the reality is that every relationship is going to experience bumps and potholes, and that's where the difference lies between love and infatuation. That's where love starts to take over. That's where real love takes over. In Christianity works in a similar way. When we first come to know Christ, there is the euphoria of a new relationship. Now, I grew up in a Christian home and and went to church all my life, but I remember when I accepted Christ and when I rededicated my life to Him, there was all this euphoria of a new start. You become part of a new family. There are new privileges and new procedures and a new reality. But what happens is that that newness and that euphoria wears off over time And the reality of that relationship is tested in the crucible of real life. And Hannah, you said when when you ask God to refine you, that is done in a crucible. And a crucible is a place of pain. It's a place where there's refining. It's a place where there's heat. A crucible is some place where you refine metal and you melt it. And it's done several times in order to bring that metal to a stage of purity. But I wanna talk today about real faith. I wanna talk today about a real faith that remains steadfast in the realities of life. Not just a newness and a euphoria, but a real faith that remains steadfast in the realities of life, like love. Now, when you read this story, you see that the satisfaction of immediate needs draws people to Jesus Christ. The disciples have been on a ministry trip. Jesus said, Jesus sent them out. Uh, And if you look back in chapter 6 of Mark, uh, verse 12, it says, They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. And then verse 30 reads, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. And so people heard about that. They were excited. They heard about the things that Jesus could do and would do. And the disciples came to Jesus, and they were tuckered out, and yet the crowds gathered around Jesus. And in in Luke, this story is in all four Gospels. And when you read this story in the Gospel of Luke, Luke writes that he healed those who needed healing. Now, Luke's a doctor, and he would have noticed that. And in Mark, we read that Jesus was teaching them many things, and so the crowds were there, and he had compassion on them. But they were drawn to him because Jesus could satisfy their immediate needs. Their needs were for healing. Their needs were for some meaning and some sense of meaning in life, some sense of new teaching. They were tired of what was going on around them. And there was this this sense of immediate satisfaction that they could get from Jesus Christ. Now, when you look around Nippon, you discover that people have all kinds of needs. People need money. They will phone me up once in a while. I will get a phone call that says, I need money to go here, or I need money to go there. Can you give me some, or can you give me food, or can you give me some other things? People need clothing. They need healing. People need relationships. People struggle with addictions, with self-worth and acceptance. And even those in Nipuan who seemingly have it all together. Last night I sat at the hockey game in, uh, in, uh, in the Nipuan arena. And and I thought about the people that were sitting around me and, and, you know, I've sat in the same seat for a number of years and there's a crowd of people that, yeah, you you know where so-and-so sits and -and so-and-so sits and -and so-and-so sits And, and from all appearances they have their lives together. But I wonder if you would scratch on the surface a little bit what you would find. Even those who seemingly have it all together have needs if you can get below the surface. If you look at all the products that are advertised on TV and radio and all the other media that is designed to cater to our needs, uh, you, you will discover that, that there are needs that people have. You know, that young, beautiful bride with a morning breath that peels paint, she needs mouthwash and toothpaste. I mean, and, and you know, we have things that will provide for those needs. And, and you know, basically what she needs is her husband to love her in spite of all that, but I'm not going to go there. And really, you know, if, if we were to go to Nippu and, and, and tell people you need to repent and to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, there probably wouldn't be a whole lot of acceptance of that message. But if we were to provide free food and immediate physical healing, I think people would come from all over northeastern Saskatchewan to get that. If you promise to provide people's immediate needs, you're going to draw a crowd. And it draws people to the Lord Jesus Christ. But when Jesus looked around that crowd, he saw needs, and the disciples were concerned. The disciples came to Jesus and said, look, you know, like, like, and it's a real, I mean, they were genuinely concerned. Some people criticize them, but but they were genuinely concerned. There was a whole pile of people there. They said to Jesus, look, they gotta eat. Uh, they're gonna get owly. I mean, they they just, they need to eat. It's one of those needs that we have. And, and the disciples said, you know, like, Maybe send them out, send them someplace so they can buy food. Uh, And Jesus, do you think? I think Jesus was messing with them a little bit. And he says, well, you give them something to eat. Well, he knew they didn't have anything. He knew knew exactly what was there. And they said, good night. They said, what would it take to feed a man? Think about this. If there's 5,000 men there, that's what the Bible says. And the reason they know that is because they had them sit down in groups of 50s and 100, so it's pretty easy to count to 5,000 when you've got that many people sitting in that many groups. Now, let's be generous. Uh, let's feed them all fish and chips, okay? That's potatoes and, and fish. okay? At, at three bucks a plate, what's it cost to feed 8,000 people? Four, huh? Twenty four thousand dollars. Okay, if you go to five bucks a plate, forty thousand. That's a lot of money. And they said, like, there's no way that, you know, Jesus said, you give him something to eat, and then they said that would take eight months of a man's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give him to eat? And the reality is, I don't think between the twelve of them, they were probably packing forty thousand dollars. And I wonder how you and I would have responded to that if Jesus comes to us and says, you do something about it. And so we read the story that Jesus, they collected, the, they had five loaves, they had two fish. Jesus said, have them sit down in, in groups of 50s and 100. And uh, so he fed them and they had 12 baskets left over. Why 12? 12 disciples, one for each disciple, and less there. And uh, the needs were real. People need it to eat, and the needs around us are huge. Uh, even when we look around our town, when you study the demographics of Nipawin, Nipawin has a disproportionate number compared to Saskatoon and Saskatchewan and the rest of Canada of old people. I don't know if you ever noticed it, but there's lots of old people in Nipawin. New to somebody? No, there's there's tons of us. Okay, and so the needs are are huge. There's aging and illness. We need daily provision and food and clothing and shelter and transportation. And God has promised to supply all that if we seek first the kingdom of God. We don't always do that, and yet we don't lack. And and the reality is that we don't need to look far to find the needs around us. But if we're short-sighted, if we're short-sighted, then we fail to look beyond the immediate for the eternal. The needs are big. The satisfaction of immediate needs draws people to Christ. The needs around us uh, are are real and they're huge. But if we are short-sighted, we fail to look beyond the immediate and for the eternal. Sometimes we get so concerned with living in our world that that's all that we think about. If you turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 6, there are some lessons here that, that we need to pull out of this. Yes, Jesus is able to provide It's a marvelous miracle, but there's a deeper truth here. And when the people saw this happening in John chapter six and verse 15, or verse 14 and 15, uh, we read that after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into, into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again um, to a mountain by himself. So this was someone they wanted for their king. This was someone that could provide their short-term needs. This was someone that could heal them. This was someone that could feed them. They said, hey, we want that kind of a king. We want someone who can look after us, and we don't have to deal with all this stuff by ourselves. And yet, they were looking. Jesus said, you need something more than this. Verse 26, Jesus said... I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you on him. God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So Jesus said, do not, do not be content with satisfying the immediate to give up on the eternal Like, short-sightedness will allow us to fill um, the immediate needs, but it it allows us to forego the eternal. The bread of life is bigger than a single meal or a single healing. Jesus said in verse 35 of John 6, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. He wasn't talking about physical bread. He wasn't talking about a meal of fish and bread. Verse 41, at this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And Jesus said, listen, listen, he said, don't get confused here. He said, look, you had your fill, but he said, you're thinking about your stomachs. You're thinking about stuff that has to do with this world. You're not thinking about the things that are eternal. The bread of life is bigger than a single meal, or a physical healing? When life doesn't meet our expectations, will we still look to the bread of life for eternal provision? Or will we turn away to follow our own ways until we need Him again? Some people treat Jesus like a spare tire. You know, He's kind of there when we need Him. You know, when when life comes unglued, we go running to Jesus. Uh, And when we don't need Him, well, you know, we're on our own, we're doing fine and, and we don't really pay a whole lot of attention to Him or give Him a whole lot of credit. Uh, until stuff comes unglued for us again. Jump with me to verse 53 in John 6. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am him. What is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about cannibalism? No. Is he talking just about communion? When we have eat this bread and drink this cup, you know, represents the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't think so. Does it not have more to do with the source of life? Does it not have more to do with the motivation for our daily living? Does it not have to do with the acknowledgement that he is the one who gives us life? And since he gives us life, you and I owe our lives to him, that he is our Lord, that he is our master, that we follow him, whether or not we like what he puts on our plates every day. Sometimes Jesus puts stuff on our plates that you and I don't like. Sometimes things happen to us that we don't entirely agree with and we say, well, God, that's not fair. Is Jesus not talking about that we will not seek to please ourselves but to serve him? Is Jesus not saying that life is more than what I experience every day? Is Jesus not saying that life consists of more than a full belly, a sound body, and all the stuff that I need to make me happy? Is Jesus not asking that I follow him even if it's hard and painful and costly? Isn't that what the difference is between real love an infatuation. Sure, you see these couples that are freshly in love, and they're all over each other, and it's, you know, and, and you look at that, and some of us older ones, and we say, well, that's just dumb. But I was just as dumb when I was 16. Kathy was 15. She was, whew, she was a nice girl. But many years later, something has changed. This summer, Kathy and I were at Greenwater Lake for holidays and one of the things we saw, we see lots of things on the beach and one of my favorite pastimes is watching people. And uh, so be careful you don't do stuff in front of me because you become sermon illustrations. But um, one of my favorite pastimes is watching people and we saw this one older couple. They came to the beach and they weren't dressed in beach clothes, just ordinary, working clothes and stuff like that, and they brought their folding chairs and they set their folding chairs up on the grass, just behind the sand a little bit and in the shade, and they sat next to each other for a couple of hours in their folding chairs and held hands. Now, I don't know if they'd been married for 40 years and maybe they were just, you know, newly in love or something like that, but I looked at that and I thought, you know, there's a picture there. There's a picture there of people who have probably walked together all their lives, who have learned to live with each other's idiosyncrasies, who have survived the bumps and the potholes and, uh, and all those things in life, and they're still committed to each other in spite of what goes on. Real love says, I will continue to walk with you regardless of the circumstances in which we find ourselves, and real faith says... That I will continue to walk with Christ, even though my life becomes unglued, because I trust Him, and I love Him. There's a verse in at the end of this chapter. Ken read it, and I'm going to ask Joanne to put it on the screen, up there. It's John chapter six, verses 66 and 67. In the schedule, there, there it is. What happened when Jesus started talking like this? Verse 60, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Because Jesus was prodding them. He said, don't look at the immediate for the and, and don't lose the eternal for the sake of the immediate. Look long range, he said. Walk with me. Struggle with me. Continue with me. In spite of what happens, Jesus said, if you don't follow me, if you don't walk with me, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, if you don't become a part of me, you stand to sacrifice that which is eternal for that which is something very short-term, like a full belly. And so the Jews, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept this? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? And this is a question that you need to ask yourself, does this offend me? Does this bother me that Jesus wants to run my life, that Jesus wants to have full control, that Jesus wants to be my Lord, not just just my fire escape, but that he wants to be my Lord, that he wants to provide all my needs, but he may not give me what I think I need. Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before, the Spirit gives life, The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. In verse 66, as from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why? Because he offended them. He said, I want to be the source of your life. I want to be the, the, the center about which your entire life Revolves. I don't want to be there on the outside so that you come running to me whenever you think. I want to be at the center of your life. I want to be part of your life. I want to walk through life with you. I want to be everything you eat, everything you drink. I want to be the source of your life. And there were people who didn't want that. Even some of his disciples turned away from him. And then verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, and Simon Peter had answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And the reality is we can find many short-term things to satisfy our immediate needs, whether it's a new relationship, whether it's drugs whether it's sex, whether it's alcohol, whether it's food, whether it's a new vehicle, whether it's this, whether it's that, we can find those things to fill and satisfy us for the short term. But there is only one person, one place in this entire universe that you can go for eternal life, and that is Jesus Christ. And you know what? It's my experience that when you turn your life over to Christ, the best deal that you can make in the world. Yeah, you may not wind up with all the things that you think you need. But you know what? You have someone that will walk with you and stick with you through all the bumps and potholes of life and he asks you to do the same thing. He asks you to follow him. He says, I want to be the center of your life. I'm going to look after you. I am going to provide for all of your needs. I am asking you to walk with me, to stay with me, to trust me, and to be the source of your life. Do you do that, or do you find that offensive? Does it bother you? Would you rather live your own life? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, some of us look at those words and we say, that's too much. I need to make my own decisions. I want to run my own life. And yet the reality is that so often we sacrifice the short term, or we sacrifice the long term, rather, for that which satisfies our immediate needs, and the reality is that it doesn't satisfy us for long, and it really doesn't satisfy us at all. So, Lord Jesus, you are the bread of life. You alone have the words of eternal life. You alone are worthy of our faith. You are worthy of our devotion. You are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our love. You are worthy of our loyalty. So, Father, I pray that you would remind us of that. I pray, Father God, that you would draw us to yourself, that you would draw us to your Son, and help us, Father, to find that which is truly eternal and not get caught up in the things which are temporal and immediate. Father, grant us your peace as we leave this place, but if that's a decision we need to make, I pray that you would grant us no peace until we surrender absolute control and absolute loyalty to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for allowing us to be here this morning. Lord, guide us and guard us as we leave here and as we go out into the mission field for another week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.